This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. And here we are in the year 2022. Let's see how long it'll take for us to not mess up writing the date. Hopefully you all had a great New Year's and Christmas holiday, and that you're ready for the new year, new challenges, and whatever else you have planned. Last year has definitely been a bit of a blur, to be honest. But more of a good blur for me. Thanks again for tuning in and hanging around. Your good vibes are greatly appreciated here. So, how shall we start this year off? Sorry to say, not with anything happy and uplifting, but something awful that happened exactly 43 years ago. Thank you for your email, Deb, and for all the suggestions you've given me. I picked this specific case for the first episode of the year for one reason only. It took place only a week after 1979 which is about the same time this episode comes out. Sorry to say, this is not only an unhappy case, it's also cold as ice and is still unsolved. A bit of a warning, this case will 100% mention death of multiple children, and if you're not up for it, I totally get it. Your choice, but come back next time. This is the case of the Geylang Baru quadruple murder. And all the victims were kids under the age of 10. Let's begin. Allow me to introduce to you the basic background information you will need. The year is 1979, or basically the late 1970s. Location, Geylang Baru, a subzone in the area of Kalang, Singapore. In this subzone, on Block 58, lived a family of six. Meet the Tan family. Dad is Tan Quen Chai, mom is Li Meiying, and then there are four kids, all between the ages of 5 and 10. Tan Kok Peng, age 10, Tan Kok Hing, age 8, Tan Kok Sun, age 6, and Tan Chi Ni, age 5. Just in case you can't really tell, the three older kids are all boys, the youngest one is a girl. So just a little bit of intro on their last name, Tan. It is technically also pronounced as Chen, which is a super common last name in places where Chinese is spoken, and the most common last name in Taiwan. It's literally the same character, Chen and Tan, but because of differences in dialects, the same word can be pronounced differently. Many people of Chinese ancestry in places like Singapore don't usually follow the common Chinese Mandarin pronunciation because they're from regions with specific dialects. Okay, now back to the case. The family was not well off by any means, but they did okay for themselves, and that's what mattered. The husband and wife duo had a very interesting job working together. 
One day, Mr. Tan went out and purchased a small bus and converted it into a school bus. So then began their days of picking kids up and taking them to school. While Tan was the driver, his wife Lee was pretty much the supervisor, looking after the kids and maintaining order. I had no idea this was something you could do, but maybe back then it made sense and it was safer. It's quite strange thinking that a random couple can just buy a bus and use it to transport little kids to and from school. Times were definitely simpler back then. This couple must also have really liked being around kids, since they already had four at home, and yet they're choosing to spend more time caring for more kids. Good on them. The date was Saturday, January 6, 1979, when this happy family was torn apart by violence. Tan and Lee woke up as they usually did, early in the morning to get ready for work. So maybe you're wondering, hey, it's a Saturday, there isn't school that day. Well, there was a time where kids went to school on Saturdays for half days. Not sure how many countries did that, but I know it was a thing in various Asian countries. I don't know if that's still the case in some places, but many countries have since changed that. I went to elementary school in Taiwan for a couple years, and we had to go to school for half days on Saturdays as well. But I mean, it was usually a chill day. I obviously don't remember what we did, but I do remember we were allowed to dress casual, as in, no uniform required. Plus, kids get to go see their friends. Not a bad deal at all. So, Mr. Tan and Mrs. Lee got up early, prepared everything for the day, and went off on their bus at around 6.30 a.m. Their four kids were still sleeping when the couple left them, and this was how it was for them. The kids didn't have a sitter. Their mother wasn't around to help them get ready for school. Clearly, these kids were incredibly independent, and the four of them were there for each other. The only thing the mother did every day was to make a phone call at around 7 a.m., which basically served as an alarm clock for the kids. The three boys all attended the same primary school, while the youngest daughter was still in kindergarten. On January 6th, Lee did as she always did. She found a public phone, dialed her home phone number, and waited for one of her kids to pick up. Except, no one picked up. It just rang and rang. She wasn't too worried at first, probably thinking, whoa, these kids are having a slow day, or something like that. No big deal. Lee then phoned her neighbor, who did pick up the phone. She told her neighbor that she had called her home, but nobody picked up, and asked if they would kindly go over and knock on their door to see if the kids are up yet. The neighbor was like, of course, and went over to knock. Oddly enough, no one responded. The neighbor wasn't really sure what to think, and I'm assuming she didn't think anything was really wrong. Maybe the kids didn't hear, or maybe they had already left for school. Either way, she went back to her home, and that was that. Tan and Lee spent the early morning hours driving kids to school, and after finishing their rounds, they finally returned home at around 10 a.m. I cannot even begin to imagine what it was like walking through the doors and seeing the chaotic scene. The house generally looked normal, but once you looked closely, you could tell there were bloodstains in some places. The kitchen sink had quite a bit of blood in it, almost as if someone tried to wash themselves off. Eventually, the couple walked into every single room and in the bathroom, 
they found their four kids bloodied, limp, and their bodies basically stacked on top of each other. Just thinking about this, writing this out, makes me feel a little sick. I've seen photos of genocides and the Holocaust where prisoners and victims were tossed or stacked on top of each other like that, and it is 100% something you cannot get out of your head. It's horrible. It's sad. And it also angers me so much to think people think this is okay, to strip people's lives away like they somehow have the right to do so, and then make it look like a fucking statement. Anyway, imagine that, but with four little kids, the youngest being a five-year-old girl. The bathroom floor was also stained with blood and water. The bodies were so bloodied it was hard to tell who was who or where they were bleeding from. Why would anyone even think of doing something like this? especially to four innocent and defenseless children. The police and emergency services arrived a while later, and all four children were pronounced dead. They had all been stabbed to death, and not just a simple stab wound, but multiple stabs, repeatedly. Even the five-year-old girl had over 20 stab wounds on her body. The oldest boy had multiple stab wounds, and what's more interesting is that his arm was so badly stabbed, it was almost completely severed, and after police looked it over, they determined that it was possible that the oldest brother had tried to put up a fight or was trying to protect his younger siblings. So, like anyone else being attacked with a sharp object, his instinct was to use his arms and hands as a shield. They found a few strands of longish dark hair in the oldest boy's hands, which kind of threw everyone off since it is easy to think that a man did this, but long hair may indicate the perpetrator was instead a woman. As for the scene of the crime, it was just really bizarre. The front door and the windows were completely intact, so whoever got in either had a key or one of the children had opened the door for them. Could this indicate that the murderer was someone the kids knew well enough, so they opened the door for them? I know kids are not the most logical when it comes to stranger danger, but it isn't entirely impossible that the kids could have opened the door for someone they didn't know. I tend to think these kids might not be that naive, since both their parents work, and they probably spend a lot of time at home together. They must have some sense of awareness. The only place I was extremely bloodied would be the kitchen sink and the bathroom, and there were signs of someone, most likely the perpetrator, cleaning up after themselves after the gruesome murder. Nothing else was out of the ordinary, so it wasn't a case of robbery gone wrong. Some sources stated that a meat cleaver was missing from the kitchen, but if someone had intended to come in to rob and kill, wouldn't they have brought their own weapon? Or maybe they did, but realized that they needed something better and more fatal, so they grabbed a meat cleaver from the kitchen. Yeah, it was a lot to take in. Not just for the parents, but also for the police officers and the community. How could something so brutal and senseless happen out of the blue? And not just bloody murder, but murdering four little kids. I highly doubt these children had any sworn enemies. And if they did, it was probably another kid from their school. And I highly doubt another child would be capable of doing what was done to these poor kids. The Criminal Investigation Department's Special Investigation Section organized a task force dedicated to solving this quadruple murder because, of course, the community was shocked, their parents were shocked, 
Everyone was angry and upset. Autopsy reports performed on the four kids revealed that all four children had been stabbed approximately 20 times each, if not more. Like I mentioned, the eldest son had multiple wounds on his arms, and the youngest girl had multiple wounds to her face. The police had also asked around the neighborhood, because think about it. Four kids getting murdered in the morning. It's not like they don't have neighbors or live in the middle of nowhere. But strangely enough, no one recalled ever hearing any screams, any noises, nothing. Could it be that there were multiple perpetrators, at least two, where one of them would keep an eye on the kids while the other one took up the job of killing them, one by one? It would definitely be a bit difficult for one person to control four kids, so this multiple killer theory is definitely possible. As for the time the crime was committed, police believe that it had to have occurred right after the parents left, and before the mother called their house. If the kids were still safe at home when the call was made, they would have likely picked up. But even if they didn't, the mother did call a neighbor to go knock on their door, which she did do. Again, she received no response. Were the kids still sleeping, or were the perpetrators already in there threatening the kids to stay quiet while she knocked? Or were they already dead by that time? If the murder was indeed committed, around the half hour between the time the parents left and the time the call was made, then it clearly shows that whoever committed this crime either waited around for them to leave or knew their routine well enough to have the confidence of doing such an atrocious thing. The Asian Madness Podcast is brought to you by EveryPlate, a super helpful service you need to try out. Let's just get to it. Cooking and meal prepping is not everyone's idea of fun. I do cook, but I hate it. I never know what to make. I am too lazy to look up ingredients, and I'm even lazier to go shop for specific items. I hate getting too much of something I think I might use, and in the end, it just goes to waste. If I can eat takeout for the rest of my life, you know I would. But that stuff is expensive, and I am not rich. So, what's a good compromise? Every plate is a very easy way to make food at home, around 50% cheaper than a meal made from grocery store ingredients, and definitely way more affordable than getting takeout. How affordable? Every meal is about the price of a coffee, or less, which isn't much, since most of us don't think twice when purchasing a nice cup of coffee. Cooking doesn't take too long either, maybe 30 minutes tops, and it saves you a trip of aimlessly roaming around supermarkets. So you save time on both shopping and cooking. You just order, sit back, and relax, wait for your meals to arrive, and that's it. There's also a variety of recipes to pick from every single week, and if you want to make some small changes like swapping out the meat, veggies, or even the sides, it is all doable. Every plate comes at a very reasonable price, a lot lower than most other meal kit deliveries you find out there but still nutritious and well-balanced. With services like EveryPlate, I get to save time buying, preparing, and cooking meals, which leaves me more time to write and record stuff. Try EveryPlate now for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code MADNESS179. That's like 
less than $2 per meal. And if that's not a steal, I don't know what is. Enter code MADNESS179 at everyplate.com to eat better, save money, and save time. The kids were buried on January 7th, so literally the day after they were murdered. I suppose there wasn't much to do in regards to autopsies, as their cause of death was fairly straightforward. I also imagine the parents would want their kids to be laid to rest as soon as possible, and the idea of their lifeless bodies sitting in a morgue or whatnot is not really comforting. All four kids were dressed in their best clothes. Aside from their bodies, the coffins were also filled with their personal items, such as their backpacks, toys, and their favorite books. The mother, Lee, was very distraught during the burial ceremony. Losing a child is tough, but losing all four at once, and in such a way, I would not expect her to be okay at all. Now, let's get down to witness and suspects. Over the course of the investigation, hundreds of people were questioned, and more came forward with information, some though not so helpful. A witness revealed information to a newspaper agency, claiming that on the morning of the murder, he saw a couple near the apartment block, and both were covered in blood. Sounds promising, right? There's no way you can kill so many people in such a manner and walk away without a drop of blood on you. Well, turns out this guy made it up for attention. There has to be a special place in hell for people like this. Another woman, an elderly woman who lives in the same block as the Tan family, told the police that while she usually sat on the chair in the building corridor in the mornings, that morning she was in her apartment washing her hair. So if anyone passed by or entered the Tan apartment, she did not see. It's crazy how so many things just happened to go right for the murderers, or murderer, because if that old lady had been there in the morning, they may have decided not to do it. Obviously, this is not on the old lady. She's innocent in all this. A woman's gotta wash her hair. The police had also arrested two women they found suspicious, but how suspicious they never explained. After questioning them, they were quickly released, and again, no other information was given. Then came two rather promising leads. Here's the first one. A taxi driver came forward with information. He stated that around 8 a.m. on the morning of the murder, he had picked up a man near the area, near Block 58. He seemingly had blood on him and was also carrying a knife. It's not that he flashed the knife at the driver or anything, but the knife apparently banged on the door of the taxi when he was exiting, which caused the driver to turn around to look at what that noise was. The police got information on what this man looked like and began to search around the area. A while later, they asked the taxi driver to come to the station and pick the man out from a lineup. The man was supposedly a 20-something-year-old, and soon enough, he spotted the guy and identified him as the man he picked up. This guy, only known as Uncle, was a Malaysian guy living with his sister in the same neighborhood as the Tans. He supposedly came into close contact with the Tans quite often, using their phone to make long-distance calls to his family back in Malaysia. He was a regular guest in the Tan home, so regular that the kids even called him Uncle. Some people believe that this man had an affair with Lee, and when she refused to leave her family for him, he took his anger out on the children and killed them. 
This was, of course, just a rumor and could not be backed up with any evidence. Regardless of how promising this lead sounded, the uncle was eventually released two weeks later. They just didn't have any concrete evidence to charge him. He later on moved away from that apartment building, and no one knows what happened to him. What a bummer. The second promising lead has to do with money. A relative of the family had once asked a couple to help him buy a lottery ticket, and when the winning numbers were announced, he went to see the couple to collect his money. They told him, sorry, that they forgot to buy the ticket. The relative was mad and didn't believe what they said, and when he found out the couple somehow managed to purchase a minibus for their business, he became even more convinced that they had bought the lottery ticket and kept the money for themselves. Of course, this is yet another theory, but again, it is definitely possible. This relative, though, disappeared a few weeks after the children were murdered, so that's a dead end as well. As if this case wasn't crazy awful enough, wait till you hear this. Okay, so this was back in the 70s, back when people had lots of kids and it wasn't weird or anything. I mean, it's still not weird, but just less common due to many reasons. We know that Tan and his wife, Lee, had four kids, which was probably more than enough for them. After Lee gave birth to her last child, she went to the doctors for a sterilization procedure. That's great. I mean, they were being responsible. They probably knew they couldn't and shouldn't have more kids, so good for her. This piece of information was not common knowledge, though. Most people who get sterilized don't really go around telling everyone they meet about it. Probably only close friends and family tend to know about these kind of things. So where exactly are you going with this, Jessica? Yeah, so it's obvious she can't have any more kids, but that's not where I'm going with this. As you know, Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year falls around the end of January or early February every single year, depending on the lunar calendar. In 1979, it fell on January 28th. It's a time for families to get together, and it's a huge deal. Almost like Christmas, but even more intense. People visit families and friends, eat a lot, send holiday greeting cards, all that. Tan and Lee received a card, and when they opened it, one side of it had a message on it, the other side had a picture of children playing together. And what did the message say? Here's a rough translation as it was written in Chinese. A Tsai and A Ying. You don't have any more offsprings now. Ha ha ha. It was signed, The Murderer. Let's talk about this message. First of all, the person who wrote this knew the nicknames of the couple. Atai being Tan's nickname and Aying being Lee's nickname. This indicates that this person is very likely someone close or familiar with the couple. Second of all, they most likely chose a card with a picture of children playing in the playground because it was something that could hurt them. Lost your kids? Well, here you go. Third, this person openly mocked Tan and Lee regarding their offspring thing, which could very well indicate that this person knew that Lee underwent sterilization. It's almost like this person was enjoying the fact that they lost their kids and will probably never be able to have kids again. While the message was signed, the murderer, can you really be sure that it is in fact the murderer? It seems like the obvious answer, but it also could very well be someone who knew of the situation 
someone who wanted to make them hurt even more, someone who maybe hated them for whatever reason, and decided to make sure that they hurt some more. The police strongly believe that whoever murdered the four kids headed out for Tan and Lee. They spent two years digging and questioning everyone close to the family, but in the end, they got nowhere. The family didn't seem to have any enemies, they didn't owe anyone money, nor did anyone owe them money. The couple barely fought amongst themselves, let alone with others. They just couldn't imagine how anyone would want to hurt them this badly. Some people believe that Tan and Lee knew more than what they were telling the police. As in, they may have had some shady things going on behind the scenes, but because it could implicate them, or make them look bad, they decided to withhold information, even if it meant never finding out who killed their kids. For example, the Malaysian uncle, who some believed had an affair with Lee, and the relative who supposedly never got money from his lottery ticket. If the couple admitted to either one of these, they could easily lose a lot of supporters and sympathy. While I think most people would still support them, there will be others who might think, well, no wonder someone wanted to kill your kids, because you are shitty people as well. But even if they did do shitty things, nothing they did should have caused another grown-ass person to murder four helpless kids. I just don't think this is a good example of cause and effect. Of course, this is just me speculating, because this case is still unsolved. It's definitely not a bad idea to look at it from different angles, though. While some believe that the couple were shady, many more had only good things to say about them. They had no known enemies, they were kind, they were a great family overall. Lee, though, had a suspect of her own. But like the rest of the suspects, there was no concrete evidence. Her suspect was a neighbor lady who lived on her own, and according to sources, she was unable to have kids, and her husband had supposedly divorced her because of that. Again, speculation. In the end, the murder most likely boils down to either revenge or jealousy. 43 years later, it is still a complete mystery. Mrs. Lee, though, did manage to get a reversal procedure done on her about five years after her kids were killed. She ended up giving birth to another baby boy. Imagine for a second being that miracle baby. Imagine growing up and finding out that all your older siblings were murdered. I would be pretty terrified. I would probably wonder if anything would happen to me. Kind of strange to think of it this way, but this child was only born because his older siblings were murdered. Tan passed away a few years ago without ever knowing who killed his kids, and Lee, now in her 70s, lives with her grandson. She no longer wishes to discuss the past and the murder of her four kids, but at the same time, she does hope that the case would be solved. The case was obviously unsolved and cold for the longest time, and in April of 2021, someone reached out to CLS, Crime Library Singapore, with new information regarding the case. CLS is now hoping to find people who used to live around the Tan family back in 1979, and it seems like they have new questions that could hopefully lead them to an answer. So there you have it, an extremely senseless murder of four little kids that is still unsolved to this day. Who do you think the likely suspect is? The uncle? The lottery-obsessed relative? Or maybe somebody else? 
While the police did find a few long, dark strands of hair in one of the boy's hand, DNA testing was 100% not a thing back then. It's 2022 now. If they had kept the hair or if it was still testable, I'm sure they would have done something with it. I don't want to buy into the rumors about how Tan or Lee could have been bad people, because like I said, no matter how horrible they were, even if the accusations were true, their four kids were never part of this. If this was done out of revenge, it is extremely cowardly. What, so you couldn't handle matters with another adult? You had to resort to killing defenseless kids? Oh well, how big and mighty of you. That really pisses me off. It's been more than 40 years, and to be honest, the chances of solving this case is low. But hey, nothing is impossible. I don't believe finding out who the murderer is can't provide any closure for the mother, but it will definitely help answer some of her unanswered questions. If the right person came forward, or if the killer made a dying confession, it could all come to light. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode, and to the first episode of 2022. Happy New Year, everyone. And, as always, lock your doors, stay safe. Till next time. Before I go, I just wanted to remind everybody, if you have the time, please remember to rate me either on iTunes or Spotify. And if you do have any suggestions for cases, please, please, please send it to my email. Try not to message me with it on Instagram and Facebook because it's really hard to keep track of everything. And if everything is in my email inbox, that works perfect. Alright, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.